acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wooden. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Ben Bolin. And I'm Scott Benjamin. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Not too shabby. What do you think about buckboards? Two words. Love them. I really do. I, I think these are these are so cool. This is uh, this is something that I, I saw recently when I went to a museum here in Georgia, uh-huh. and uh, I was fascinated by it. Ah, but when we say buckboard, we should specify that we are talking about buckboard cars. Yes, that's right. Because uh, buckboard, if you think, I mean, there's going to be a segment of people out there that will will hear the word buckboard and automatically think of something else. Mm-hmm. They're going to think of a carriage or an old wagon uh, from you know late part of the 19th century, um, buckboards came about. And buckboards were really, um, it's like the front part of a carriage or a wagon mm-hmm. that protected the driver from being kicked by the horse. Right, or it was also a footrest. Oh, yeah, yeah, footrest too, that's right. Because it, um, it has, if you think about it this way, think about a wagon, think about like the, the front part of it, you know, it's either a curved piece of wood or a flat piece of mm-hmm. wood. Very low. It's only about a foot high, maybe in some cases, and mm-hmm. it had you know the 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 holder for the reins for the horse, and it's really just a, a part of the bigger wagon, really. Um, but a buck that that's what a buckboard is. It's just that one piece of of the wagon, and that term then got kind of turned around into what we call buckboard cars. Ah, uh, yes, and uh, the you can still see uh, examples of buckboard wagons today, uh, yeah. not just in museums. Uh, some Amish communities use buckboard wagons. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. We want to just give you that sense of history, and now we're going to jump into the thing that we think, no offense, buckboard wagons, is way more interesting. Yeah. The buckboard car. Well, you know, the buckboard wagons were really, you know you know how we've talked yeah. about this several times. Mm-hmm. You look at the early, early cars, I mean, the very first cars, and they were nothing more than a horse wagon that was turned into a vehicle with with a motor. Yeah. So that's what this is, really. Sometimes with an electric engine. Sometimes, yeah, that's right. That's kind of the exciting part about this is that, you know, they went back and forth between the two technologies. Let uh, Let me tell you a story about a guy named Charles Metz. 
you want to hear it? Let me hear it. All right. Uh, Charles Metz founded Waltham Manufacturing Company in 1893, and this was, of course, in Waltham, Massachusetts. So first he was building these things that he called safety bicycles. Mm -hmm. He actually uh, started building something called the Orient. Oh, safety. You know what? Real quick. Safety bicycles. Those were the first bicycles that had the same size wheels, right? I believe so. The ones that had the same size wheel on the front and back, because before there were those really goofy looking ones with the huge (laughs) wheel on the front and and the tiny one on the the back. Yeah, yeah. The steering wheel on the back. I'm sorry. Got distracted. So uh, he, the first car that has the name Orient, the brand, is a small electric roadster. But then he started doing something a little bit different. Um, in 1903, he debuted a little thing called the buckboard. Now, when we say little, we mean little. Scott, it, could you describe what a buckboard l- looks like? Yeah, you know, you say little, but it was it was long. It was but, long, but little. It was it was small. In si- in height, I guess. Yeah. Um, what- Short maybe is a better okay, word. I've I've seen one of these. I've seen a 1903 buckboard. And this is the vehicle that we talked about. Mm-hmm. These are few and far between. I saw it at a museum, and this is probably where you're going to see most of them. I mean, you may see them brought out for special occasions, parades, things like that. But um, a, a 1903 Orient buckboard is on display at the Telus Museum in Cartersville, Georgia. And you can go see one right there. I, I, I walked around this thing. I was just fascinated by it. It's a wooden car, Ben. Mm-hmm. It's a wooden car. It's got, it's got. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll describe it the best way I can. Okay. You're sitting on a series of planks that yes. run lengthwise. That's your suspension that's, too. Yeah, that's the crazy part. There's no suspension. It's, it's. You know, you know. Okay, we'll we'll get into that in a second. We'll get I'm, that. I'm Sorry. getting beyond this, but it's it's basically a series of wooden planks that have a couple of seats bolted to them. And a steering wheel that that pops up at a funny angle from the front wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, the fr- the wheels are almost like bicycle tires. Yes, uh, they're wooden, of course, or sometimes they're they're metal spoke. But in this case, I believe they were wooden. Kind of small. They're they're mm-hmm. not quite bicycle tires. They're wider than bicycle tires. They're smaller than newer bicycle tires. Yeah. There, there's a difference. Um, and there's an engine at the back. Uh, that it's gear driven, I believe, in the Orient case, but we'll talk mm-hmm. about another version later that's kind of interesting. This is a gear driven vehicle, and it has a couple of speeds. So there's a real, real primitive transmission, like a two speed transmission. Um, but you're sitting in a vehicle without any frame, any body work around you. Right. The, the frame is wooden. Everything about it is wooden except for the the mechanical bits. Yeah. Um, it, it's just such a strange vehicle. I mean, I couldn't stop staring at this thing. And these things can go on the order of 20, 25 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't sound that fast until you realize how close you are to the ground and the fact that there is no protection whatsoever. True. You know, and if you've ever been in a go-kart. Perfect. 20 or 25 miles an hour, that seems like you're going 100 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it feels so much faster when you've got all that wind blowing in your face and there's a lot of sensory input Mm -hmm. and you're that low to the ground. But, um, I, I guess more so than that, you know, this is just, it's an automobile at its most base form. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's the absolute essentials and nothing more. Right. The Orient Buckboard uh, seated two passengers. It cost a little bit north of four hundred dollars. Now, of course, this this uh, adjusted for inflation would be much higher. But let's four hundred dollars. Okay, in nineteen oh three. Yeah, that's eh, probably pretty expensive. But let's keep in mind, it's still the lowest price. Uh, auto at the time. Oh, very good. Which is a very big advantage. Uh, now, I'm going to startle you with some stats. 
about the four horsepower beast. <laughs> Please do <laughs> that. The engine, <laughs> the Please. engine was. Please do. Yeah, four horsepower, uh, two speed uh, transmission. This car, check this out, Scott, weighs five hundred pounds. That's it. That's it. Five hundred pounds. That means that if you got if you got one person at each corner of the vehicle, you could pick it up and carry. That it. is really cool. That is, I, I like that. And uh, let's see, it had, as we said, almost no body work at all. Uh, it had a range of about 100 miles, and this wasn't a car that people were using to drive across the country. Yeah. This was a car for maybe a middle-class family who really wanted a vehicle but couldn't afford the more high-end luxury, custom-made coaches that, yeah. that people were selling. Yeah. And in a way... This really, uh, I guess, leveled the playing field for customers. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, in farm communities, I think this is a big vehicle. Right. Uh, the, the picture that's on display with the vehicle that uh, that's on display to tell us, I, I, I think, um, if I'm not mixing up two images that I've seen recently, mm-hmm. I believe that the image that's there is of um, you know a, a gentleman and a lady that are in the vehicle together. Uh, dressed very well out on a farm uh, somewhere. They're on the grass driving this car. You know, it's yeah. like it's just kind of used for maybe on their own property, mm-hmm. uh, something to get from here to there. Uh, maybe the occasional trip into town because at the time you could do stuff like that. You could drive whatever you had into town. I mean, you're riding right. a horse into town if you wanted to or, you know, a horse carriage. Um, but, uh, you know, in the early days of automobile, something like this would fly on the road. I mean, something you yes. you could get away with this and – Really, there was no one there to hassle you about it. Now, mm-hmm. not so much the case. Oh, one quick thing. Yes. You mentioned that there's no suspension in these cars, right? Uh, yes. So you'd think it would be terribly uncomfortable to ride in, but it's probably not. No, it's not because the way that the seats are situated on this plank, and you guys, literally, it is just like a series of planks. Yeah. Uh, there is maybe a little bit of a strut, a little strut work, but... Um, it's purposely built so that there's some give on these planks. Um, I don't know why I'm making hand Well, no, that's, so that's fine. I mean, if you picture, like, okay, the, um, you know, for our listeners in the north or in colder sections, they may think of, like, those those uh, sleds that have the uh, the red rails, you know. Oh, the yeah, rail. good point. But they, that's the way the planks look. They run that long distance. And you can't put the, you can't do something like this on a flat piece of plywood because it doesn't have the, the same amount of give as if you put it on individual smaller planks that are right. thinner. They have a flex. There's a flex to them. And I was thinking about this this morning on the way into work. Mm-hmm. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. What other vehicle do you know of, Ben? This is a pop quiz, and you may or may not get this. What other vehicle do you know of that's, that, that doesn't have any suspension at all? That doesn't have any suspension yeah. at all. Zero suspension, but relies on body flex in order to, uh, to for the, I guess, not not so much comfort in this case, but uh, for for function functionality. Oh, I give up. I think I'm going to know it when you say it. You though. will. You will. You know those top fuel dragsters, oh. the ones that are the ones that are 20 feet long, 21 yeah, feet yeah. long, whatever they are. Yeah. Those have no suspension either, but they rely on the flex in the in the frame, the frame mm-hmm. itself, in order for. And it's not for driver comfort in that case. In that case, it's for performance because you know the, it needs a certain amount of flex, otherwise it'll just snap itself apart. Right. Um, these vehicles now, I mean, you can picture it. You can kind of see how, like, maybe you know, you're going up and down bumps. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm bumping up and down in my chair right now. Yeah. But <laughs> you 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 know you're you're going over rough terrain. You can see how those those planks would flex and and give way a little bit in order to make it a more comfortable ride, and, uh, and that's all they relied on. I mean, it's it's again, it's the most simple form of transportation you can think of, really, motorized transportation. It could still, I bet it could still be a little bit startling if you're going 25 miles an hour and you apply the brakes. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. We yeah, need to right. talk about those brakes. Yeah, yeah, please do. So the brakes are um, fairly. Simple. Some people may say distressingly simple. I'll say primitive. Okay, primitive, yeah. if you wish. So this primitive braking system has a handle, and when this handle is pulled, now this isn't on every car, and we're about to talk about some different buckboard cars in a second. Uh, when it's pulled, the um, the hub, the co- excuse me, the covering over the wheels. Sure, the fender. The fender. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, the fender 
is pulled against the tire. So it's not like <laughs> a disc brake or a drum brake. It is literally the fender being pushed onto the moving wheels to slow down the vehicle. So it's a friction brake. It's a friction brake uh, that has got to get pretty expensive on wheels over time. <laughs> seems, seems like you should just maybe heave a block of wood out of the car and let it get in front of the, vo- and the wheel, and that'd be better. I knew a guy uh, when I was growing up who had a go-kart, and his way of uh, stopping the go-kart was jumping out. Dragging his foot or something. Oh, jumping out. He would just he would just jump out, do a little roll. It didn't go very, very, very nice. fast. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, it must not have gone very no. fast. Now, in this case, I wouldn't want to get my let my uh, buckboard car get away from me. I no, think. you wouldn't. Um, you, wouldn't. you know, even though they're they're cheap, they still were. You know, that was sometimes in some cases your daily transportation. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Here's the thing: it wasn't just Orient that was making these things. Excellent point. You know, later, you know, these are early on. We're talking 1902 to 1908. They made mm-hmm. all these variations of buckboard cars. Well, if you look at an Orient buckboard car compared to what we're going to talk about next, mm-hmm. that was high class. That was uh, that was over the top, extreme. It had all kinds of uh, bells and whistles compared right. to what we're going to talk about next. Because <laughs> there were some simple, simple versions of buckboard cars, and this is what I this is what initially got me interested in these. Actually, um, I think even before because I had I'd seen these before, and I just didn't know what to call them. I'd seen them before I saw the the Orion at the Telus Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of got it sparked, I guess. But uh, something called the Smith Flyer. Yes, uh, from the A.O. Smith Company in Milwaukee. Exactly. Now that's the uh, that's the first company that made them, and we're going to quickly go through this because mm-hmm. there's a, a chain of about four different companies that own the rights to what we call the Smith Flyer. And just real brief description of this. This is a much, much smaller version of mm-hmm. a of a buckboard car. This is more along the lines of uh, go-kart size. The seats are like little half stools. Yeah, I love the seats in this thing. Yeah. It's like little tiny, almost like bucket seats, like those custom bucket seats you see in vans yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Only they're really, really small, like maybe just a few inches tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, padded, of course, and you sit right on the planks on the bottom of the vehicle. Yes. It's the most simple Vehicle you can imagine. Just take a look at you know for a Smith Flyer online. You'll see what we're talking about. Um, and the the crazy thing about this is it's got a little tiny engine at the back that's mm. attached to a wheel. A fifth wheel. A fifth wheel. That's right. So this has got a like a it's a direct drive motor wheel, mm-hmm. but it's a friction system. So you raise and lower the fifth wheel with a handle lever. Mm-hmm. In order to either slow or stop the vehicle or, you know, full speed, whatever you want to do. But you raise and lower this thing. And this was, you know, initially applied to, I think, to uh, bicycles. Yes. Uh, you know, kind of like a, a moped type setup, you mm-hmm. know, what we would call moped now, but a motorized bicycle. Tiny little fuel tank on top of this uh, um, of this engine. Um this is the craziest thing. I, I've just never seen anything like this with this fifth wheel, where where you raise and lower the thing in order to get it to go. I can imagine that you know there's some a lot of wear on that back wheel when you're yeah. raising and lowering it because it probably spins because um, it's full speed full speed ahead. I would assume. Right. Yeah. So you have the engine started and you wait till the engine's running smoothly. Then mm-hmm. you take the lever and you gently lay it down. I think <laughs> I think this is one of those things where a lot of the uh, finesse is key. Yeah. You know, you can't just drop this thing down because these cars are so light that I wouldn't be surprised if applying all the force at once would make the car buck, you know? Maybe yeah. the maybe the front end would pop up on you there's, or something. There's something about these cars, Ben, that reminds me of a, a toboggan. Like yeah. a motorized toboggan. Like you're on a toboggan 
on wheels on the road. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's just the maybe it's just the the layout of the wood, the the planking, and the yeah, just the overall look of it. But it reminds me of sledding. It reminds me. It's the colors used. I think mm-hmm. the red. Yes. Um, and the color of wood, and it just there's something about it that reminds me of sledding. But anyways, let's let's move on because you know that yeah. that engine. And it required an engine to run, so mm-hmm. it makes sense that you know after after a decent run of this thing from the A.O. Smith Company, mm-hmm. and it was called the Smith Flyer um, from 1915 to 1919, and around 1919 uh, they sold the rights to Briggs and Stratton. Which makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because Briggs and Stratton, an engine manufacturer, but they were getting into actually they were just getting into the to the business. So you know, Briggs and Stratton, brand new at the time. Uh, Stephen Briggs, uh, an electrical engineer. Then there's Harold Stratton, who was he was grain mer- merchant. Ben, he wasn't yeah. even yeah grain merchant. But uh, together they formed Briggs and Stratton, and that's that company is still around. Of course, you can you can find some information about them on their own website, uh, including a shot of Briggs and Stratton in. A uh, Briggs and Stratton flyer uh, wow. because you know they have the rights to it, so they've got the you know there's a picture of the a close up of the engine, you know that uh, that they used to power this thing. But anyways, they were they were getting into this new thing, these cars, these new car things that were happening, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a smart move for them, I think. Um, so you know now you got something called the Briggs and Stratton flyer. All right, and uh, they held on to that until about 1925, so that's about six years of this car production. Of course, you know they kept doing their engine production. Right. Up until to, you know today, uh, they sold it to a company. And this is this is where it gets a little bit even more interesting, Ben. A company called Automotive Electric Service Company in New Jersey. Ah, uh, okay. So here we go, here Electric we go. Service Company. Now, what do you think they're going to do with the uh, with the uh, diminutive Smith Flyer or the <laughs> formerly Smith Flyer, now the Briggs and Stratton Smith Flyer or Briggs and Stratton Flyer? Well, they want probably want to consolidate it with something they already make, mm-hmm. which would be an electric motor. Exactly. So these things became electrified in yeah. around 1925. Now, I think they sold out the original, um, you know, whatever they had left in stock of the, you know, the, the, the motor powered. So you could still get an automotive electric service company vehicle that was powered by a motor to a point. Okay. Then they began producing electric vehicles. Uh, and the cool thing about these, Ben, is that, you know, they're so small, they're so fun, and people kind of really like them. Yeah. Um, you know, not only for personal transportation on your own property or, you know, just getting in, you know, to and, to and from town, um, resorts started picking up on these things. I can and, see that. Yeah. And, you know, guests on, like, let's say you go to Atlantic City. And you stay in some, uh, you know, highfalutin resort out there on the coast, uh-huh. and you need a way to get around on the, the grounds, the property. Uh, what better way to do that than to rent your own little vehicle for two? Uh, you can imagine, you know, the ladies all dressed up with a camisole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and is that the right word? Did I just say something? A parasol. Dirty? Parasol. Boy, did I say camisole? Yes. That's lingerie. Oh. That'd be totally different, wouldn't it? I, I mean, I was going to let it go. <laughs> I was going to treat it like the Pope sweat thing. Let's say, let's say parasol. <laughs> How about a parasol instead? Okay, so they've got the parasols, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the sun umbrella. That's oh, what wait, I meant. one second though. If we didn't, if we hadn't pointed this out, one of our listeners would have thought <laughs> they don't know. We like, do know what chemicals they are. They would have said, just... what kind of resort are they staying at? <laughs> no, okay, especially in the, you know, the 19, we're talking about the 1920s, so that was not the case. But you can imagine, sure. you know, the, the, the dress of the day, but imagine, you know, someone tooling around on the grounds of some, uh, you know, 
giant estate mm-hmm. uh, in one of these vehicles. If you, Once you see these vehicles, you'll understand what I mean. Very similar to the way golf carts are used in resorts now. Exactly. And, and you know, electric power, you bring it back at the end of the day, they charge them up, and they're ready to go the next day. They might have a whole fleet of these things. It's not just doing a one or two. Mm-hmm. They may have a whole series of these things that they can loan out to people to just cruise up and down the shore all day long. And they're probably all painted red. I would guess so, yeah, because, um, you know, one of the things that they called these things was the, uh, the automotive red bug, or the red bug, I think is mm-hmm, what they called them. Mm-hmm. And you can still find red bugs. Um, the thing is, they're, they're boy, Ben, you know, one time these were the cheapest autom- automobile. Actually, you know what? They were, they're in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, they still hold the record. Sorry, Tata Nano. They still hold the record as the uh, cheapest car of all time. Being yeah. Guinness Book of World Records, I'm sure they say something like the most thrifty or Yeah, you know what? I, I'll tell you, it's the most inexpensive car of all time. And it ranged between one hundred and twenty-five dollars to one hundred and fifty dollars, brand new. The price is right, huh? Brand new. So you could buy these things, you know, for one hundred and twenty-five bucks. And the the thing is now, Ben, if you want to find a a an auto red bug, mm-hmm. which is what they call them, they call them red bugs. That's kind of a general term now for them. Um, so I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at an example of one here. These were these were actually manufactured in Lafayette, Indiana. The Red Bug specific, mm-hmm. um, a 1920 Red Bug is going for ten thousand dollars. Wow! And it doesn't even say that it's really road ready, if you want to call it that, because you're not going to be able to drive it on the road anyways. But, right. Um, right. It says it wouldn't take much to make this thing, you know, drivable. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, single cylinder engine. Uh, braking is really just pushing the fenders against the rear wheels, you know, that type of thing. One horsepower, I'm sorry, two horsepower, single cylinder. Um, red bugs, these are, these are produced from about 1914 until, I'm gonna say 1930, Ben, and there's a, there's a twist on this. Which is interesting because you told me this off the air. Conventionally, people believe that, uh, these cars, this type of car even, not just the red bug, but this type of car in general, uh, really diminished and lost ground and ultimately disappeared in the 20s, but you found something that says that might not be the case. Yeah, the the crazy thing about this is if you dig a little bit deeper into this, it find you find that in March of 1930, there was a report that said that the Indian Motorcycle Company in Springfield, Massachusetts, might be building these things on a kind of a, uh, you know, you order one, we'll build one, mm-hmm. that type of situation. And, uh, you know, really, there's not a whole lot more to it than that, you know, that that Maybe these things existed until about 1930, uh, because Indian, the Indian motorcycle company did buy the rights to the, uh, to the auto red bug, or they had, they own the auto red bug at a certain point. Um, again, 1930 is kind of the end of these things. The problem was, Ben, and you know this, why the, the, these small type vehicles like this, these inexpensive vehicles mm. eventually went away, right? Ah, uh, yes. Mr. Henry Ford. Yeah, that's right. A clever individual and uh, BFF of Thomas Edison, as I learned recently, yeah. uh, who decided to institute the assembly line. He was able to mass produce vehicles eventually uh, at such at such a pace that the price lowered. Yeah, and cycle cars, or excuse me, the buckboard cars, were no longer. Uh, as competitive as they were. Yeah, because they had gone up in price because, you know, they'd become more popular. Mm-hmm. There's relatively low production numbers. Right. Uh, the price of them had slowly crept up over the years from 1902 all the way up until like the 1920s, let's mm-hmm. say the mid-1920s. And they got to the point where it was cheaper to buy a maybe a used Model T 
than it was to buy a buckboard car. And why wouldn't you buy a used Model T? Right. Because you've got body work, you've got actual brakes. you got a windshield. you got a windshield. There's yeah, a you, roof. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's just a lot more going for a Model T than there was a buckboard car at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, I just, I really like the buckboard design. I, I just love looking at them. I think, I think they're a neat vehicle. I think it'd be fun to have mm-hmm. one in your garage just as a, uh, a weekend toy. You couldn't drive it anywhere, though. Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Well, I've got some good news for you. What's that? Well, not great news, because you still can't drive it on the interstate. Yeah. But uh, you'll recall in magazines such as Popular Mechanics or the Boy Scout magazine, Boy's Life, uh, these vehicles were sold in ads, right? Of very similar vehicles, at least, as DIY car kits. And even today, 
there are some similar divide. Now, these are not, of course, the authentic turn-of-the-century orients that you're looking at, but uh, you can find and order plans to uh, build your own similar uh, system. Oh, very cool. i got to say, though, I, I have seen some of the newer vehicles. I've, I've looked at, uh, you know, in fact, there's another one here in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, there's the, the, uh, the microcar museum. That's in, I think it's in Madison, Georgia. Isn't oh yeah, it? post uh, post World War Two, uh, these vehicles reappear. Yeah, and yeah. they're known as micro cars. Micro cars, bubble cars, but those have bodies and windshields, and you know all the uh, tiny, tiny windshields. Yeah, tiny, <laughs> tiny windshields, and even smaller windshield wipers. Yeah, um, but you know they 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 did emerge as as different types of vehicles. Now buckboard cars, which were all wide open and wooden frame construction, all that, yes. uh, no suspension. There are some examples of these into the 1960s, and um, you know there's there's an example of this in in this microcar museum that's in Madison, Georgia. Uh, Bruce Weiner, Bruce Weiner, I'm not sure how you say his name. Um, there's a 1960 McDonough uh, buckboard vehicle that was sold through Sears or J.C. Whitney, um, and you know you can buy it through other catalogs, I guess. But these were kind of uh, you know the uh, uh, the catalogs of the day that people would order everything from houses to mm. uh, to you know other types of goods that you need around the house tools things Sears like that. and robot catalog exactly right? yeah you know you know the story with that they could order everything well including including these buckboard cars and uh, all the way through 1960 you could do that um, again do it yourself like popular mechanics popular science I'm sure that you can still find kits like you said today mm. uh, but you know if you want the the true thing the true deal you're going to spend upwards of ten thousand dollars to get something that's you know reasonable shape uh, that you could even drive around your neighborhood. And if you don't want to spend $10,000, uh, I would be glad to point out you can see some excellent videos about this uh, on your favorite video streaming site, and you can check them out at uh, museums. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's just plenty of museums that have these things. And that's a, that's a crazy thing is that, you know, there's maybe... I don't know, just a couple hundred left of these things around that, you know, are mm-hmm. true authentic versions, but there's right. a lot of, uh, you know, remanufactured type vehicles that, you know, they start with one single piece and they build them up to, uh, you know, make an, make an entire car out of them. You That's kind of so say, funny. Uh, a Franken car. Yeah, know? we have to mention that. Franken car is a good word for it. So as we were looking into this episode, we were uh, researching on various forums and there are quite a few people who may have uh, may have the aim of restoring one of these and, quite frankly, don't have very many parts Yeah, at they all. may have a handful of parts, but mm-hmm. you need, you know, a truckload of parts to build one. And it's so cool that you can actually do that with these cars. Yeah. You know, if you, if all you have of a 1950s Cadillac or something is a, um, wheel, then no <laughs> offense, man, but you're, you're out of luck. Yeah, you're building a car. You're not. You're not strictly restoring <laughs> right, a car. Right. right. We talked about the difference between this earlier because it's yeah. kind of funny. Like you know, the parts that some people are looking for are pretty major. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for the uh, the planking, or I'm looking for the uh, I'm looking for the motor. Uh-huh. Uh That's kind of a big deal. But it's hard uh, to find. but yeah. So more power to these folks because yeah. you can actually do that with a buckboard car. We would we would love to see some of them. And that brings me to a question, Scott. Uh, instead of doing listener mail. Do you want to do stuff, Scott sees? I do, and you know what? I've got I've got some stuff laid out here in front of you, and we we talked about this. I've got a, a one two choice for Ben. I've got one marked with one, one marked with two, Ooh, and okay. this is a blind test for Ben. Here, you choose one, and that's what we'll talk about today. And the next one, I'll save for the next episode because these are equally good. I didn't know which one to go with. All right, number two. Number two. Okay, so let's see what we've got here behind number two. <laughs> oh, Ben, you have selected 
this. And I'll give you the picture, and you know what? I'll okay. share this with listeners on our Facebook or whatever. Oh, wow. That, Ben, is a Dodge Charger, a modern Dodge Charger. Yeah. With 30-inch rims. 30-inch. Okay, I was going to ask this how is, big they are. This was spotted uh, here in Roswell, Georgia. That's uh-huh. where I live, Roswell, Georgia. And I, I saw this, and I'll, I'll be honest. When I went by, I did a double take. I kind of laughed to myself, and, and I thought, no, no, I, I was seeing things. I had my kid in the car with me. Mm-hmm. I said, no way. I went to the next street. I turned around. I came back. It's parked at, it's parked at a, um, uh, a local barbecue restaurant. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I, I, I snapped this photo just through my, my car window. I, I pulled into the parking lot and, and had to take a photo of this thing. Is it for sale? It is not for sale. Oh. That, that, that sign in the window says at 30s wheels or some, or at 30s world. Oh, okay. Which means there's a lot of cars out there with 30 inch rims like this. Now, this car, to me, this looked. I thought my mind was playing tricks on me. This car looks photoshopped. That's what I was going to say. This photo itself looks as though somebody went through and just zoomed in and enlarged the wheels. It, it's almost like wagon wheels on this thing. It is. It's it is. absolutely crazy. Look at the sidewalls on those tires. Those are those are tiny, tiny sidewalls. If you yeah. hit a bump with those, you're going to bend those rims. So. I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. I mean, I, I was actually laughing quite a bit, and I thought, well, that's kind of a cool customization. <laughs> Look at all the body work that has to go into this thing in order to make yeah. those 30-inch wheels work. Like, imagine turning. Like, where does that? Where is all that wheel go in the front when you turn to the left or right? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's incredible. I think we should get 30-inch rims on our cars. <laughs> this is, I, you know, I, I laugh at this, but it, someone's really serious about this. It, it just mm-hmm. took a lot of effort to put these on this vehicle, and it, to me... Can I just be honest, Ben? Be just be honest. It looks ridiculous. To me, it looks ridiculous. Other people may love this look. They may think that right. this is what they want to do with their car. So I don't have any prejudice either way to say <laughs> go ahead and do it. I think it's it's fine. I'm just saying I, it was so unusual that it actually made me stop. This is in busy traffic. I had to turn around, come back, roll down my window, take a photo. I did stare at it for a while, and then I left. You can at least respect from uh, an engineering perspective the technical skill. That's exactly my point, is that someone really took a lot of effort in doing this to their vehicle. This is a this is a serious customization. It's not just something simple. You don't just go somewhere and order these to be put on. It doesn't work that way. The wheel wells themselves, th- there's a lot of body work that goes into mm-hmm. this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this photo online, you know, on Facebook maybe. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but it... I don't know. I'd love to know what listeners think about this, but it, it it was like my eyes were fooling me, and I had to turn around and see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check out our Facebook, guys, and tell us what you think about these rims. Also, tell us what you think about rims in general. Do you have some on your car? Uh, do you have monster rims, or do you have more reasonable? How about bigger than 30-inch? Uh, yeah, do you have 32-inch rims? <laughs> uh, it's funny because for a while in um, in hip-hop, there were uh, art. There, there was this sort of escalation of rims, bragging about rims. Uh, by which I mean, one person would be bragging about how they had 30-inch rims, and the next song would come out, and someone would talk about how they have 32-inch. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? As far as I remember, now this is why this caught my attention. We were talking like 20s first, yes, 22, mm-hmm. and then if you got up to 24, that was really excessive. Those were big, right? Take a look at these 30s, and you tell me what you think. 
It, it really does look like Photoshop, guys. It does. And while you're on the internet, why not uh, drop us a line, let us know what you think about uh, rims, about micro cars, about buckboard cars. You can say hello to us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We would love to see local pictures of ridiculous cars in your town, and you can email us directly at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.